hope of your calling, the glory, the riches, the inheritance of the saints, and the power to us who believe. Father, we pray that you would help each person in here, Lord, to prepare their hearts to be good ground that will receive the seed of the word and bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Father, we thank you. You confirm your word with signs following. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, just want to put this out to you. Uh, Cindy, we do have contact information for uh, Sister Grace, don't we? Do we have... Um, if we can this evening, I want I would like to uh, ask each of you just to, uh, um, if if we can get that information, I'd just like to ask each one of you, not not everyone in your family, but each family, just get that information and call Sister Grace and tell her, you know, the the, the church is thinking of her and we love her. You know, we're not her home church, but you know she's uh, she's been a blessing to us and we want to minister to her and. Uh, you know, just let her know that you're thinking of her. And, and before you call her, just give, you know, spend a little time, just pray. Ask the Holy Ghost to help you pray a little bit for her. And it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to her. Amen? Praise God. Um, but this evening, <coughs> we're going to uh, continue uh, a study we call the Royal Treatment. Amen? And we're talking about healing. We're talking about uh, the, in the world, when someone gets diagnosed with sickness or disease, they go to the hospital and the doctor will diagnose them, and the doctor will prescribe a treatment for the problem that they have. The doctor says, well, we're going to get you started on this treatment, or we're going to get you started on that treatment. And how many of y'all, you, you know and you realize that in the kingdom of heaven, God has a health care plan, amen? 39, the 39-stripe health plan, the 39 stripes that Jesus took on his back, uh, and it was to purchase our healing. And so we're talking about that's the reason. That's the the title, the royal treatment. You're in the kingdom, and you need to realize that when you get attacked by symptoms in your body, when sickness tries to come upon you, sometimes people have misunderstood the message of of divine healing. Think, oh, you're one of them people. Don't ever think you're gonna get sick. No, no, no. You, you don't need a healer if you never get sick, right? I mean, there's nothing to heal because you never experience sickness, but you need a healer when sickness comes upon your body, when symptoms come, when this comes, when that comes, and it's, it's diminishing your quality of life and it's causing harm to your body. You need Jehovah Rapha. You need the Lord God that heals. Amen? And so we started the first, uh, the first lesson. Uh, we talked about uh, God's will for healing in the original, the original intent in, in creation before the fall. We talked about how Adam and Eve, God created man. He created him both male and female in his image. He created them, and there was no sickness. There was no disease. They walked in perfect health. And so that got through that, and we understand that those few short chapters in Genesis, God's, that's given us the snapshot of what God's original intention was. There was no sin in the world. There was no sickness in the world. There was no disease in the world. Man was obedient to God. Adam, for a time, was living like the Lord Jesus said, that I only do the things that my Father tells me to do. I only speak the things my Father says to do. And so we saw in that, that brief snapshot of Scripture that God's original intention was not for man to be sick. You understand? People that say, well, God made me sick to teach me something. That's not scriptural. And you don't see that in the original purpose. God wanted to teach Adam and Eve. And so the God, God's model was he spoke the word to Adam and gave Adam instruction. What's the Bible say? The, this is, you understand everything God says is Scripture, right? 
If God says it, it's Scripture. But what does 2 Timothy say? It was 2 Timothy. Uh, it says uh, it's, it's 3, 3.16. It says all Scripture is, 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 is inspired, which means God breathed. Is God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. That's what, that's what God teaches us by, is by His Word. So you understand, if God ever used sickness to teach people something, He'd have put sickness on Adam to taught him to stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and none of us would be in this mess right now, would we? Right? But God uses His Word to teach. Uh, what we looked at last week was God revealing His will concerning health and healing as looking at His dealings with the children of Israel. And what we brought out last week was that uh, the Bible, there's, there is a, a term uh, known as types and shadows, that the Old Testament is full of types and shadows. Uh, and, and what a type and shadow is, is there will be an Old Testament illustration of something that's, that is alluding to or hinting to something that is going to be fulfilled in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. And so we said that the, the, the Israel, the nation of Israel, that they were a type and shadow of the church. And so if we begin to look, well, how did God deal with them? And we mentioned how when they left Egypt, one of the psalmists mentions that when they left Egypt, there was not a feeble one among them. And, and scholars different, you know, some people say anywhere from 1.5 million upwards to 5 million people, okay? Take, take it somewhere in the middle. Let's say around 3 million people are leaving. Could we, how, how far would, I mean, if, if we went in a radius from Valdosta, Georgia, to, incl to include 3 million people, what are the odds that there wouldn't be any sick? Well, you probably couldn't do it, could it? Probably wouldn't happen. So you understand that something divine had to be taking place. You've got a sample of 3 million people, and there's not a feeble one among them. And we began to look in Deuteronomy chapter 28, that whole chapter. We told you to go back and you look at that whole chapter of Deuteronomy 28 where God is speaking the blessings for obedience but the consequences or the curse that would come for disobedience. And you notice when you read that, that healing and health is in it. We looked in, uh, I believe it was Exodus, uh, was it chapter 15? Exodus chapter 15 where God revealed Himself through His covenant name, I'm Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God that heals thee. Okay, and then, we, and then I also gave real quickly, I gave uh, the example there in the book of Numbers where the people began to rebel and the Lord sent out poisonous serpents, came into the camp and bit the people and they began to die. And God told Moses, he said, make a, br a brass serpent and put it up on a pole and tell the people, whoever looks upon the brass serpent will be healed and live and not die. Okay, so God, he reveals himself as the healer. He gave health to the people. Uh, he's Jehovah Rapha, he's the healer, types and shadows of healing. And you understand that with the example specifically of the brass serpent, Jesus even spoke in the New Testament. He said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that brass serpent was actually a type and a shadow of Jesus, and the serpent represented healing to the people. So now Jesus represents healing to the church, amen? And so this week we want to begin to take a look at the healing ministry of Jesus. Just you know, how did Jesus minister healing? And so you and you understand this. For any of this to make an impact, significant impact on your life, you real you have to believe this is God's word. 
Not that it, can, that it contains God's Word or parts of it is God's Word. You have to believe this is God's Word. And you say, well, that, might sound, that sounds really simple, Pastor Brian. No, duh. But, you know, I used this example Sunday night in Kingdom Institute. We were talking about something, and there was a legendary football coach, uh, Vince Lombardi. As a matter of fact, the, the Super Bowl trophy, they call it the Lombardi Trophy. He was a, a legendary coach, and he was notorious that you, you know, he would pick up a football and go and talk to the team and say, this is a football. And they're like, well, duh. And it seemed like he was oversimplifying things. But how many of you know a lot of times when things get messed up, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, if the foundations are destroyed, what's the rest of that passage? If the foundations are destroyed, how, how can you build on it? Yeah, something to that effect. If the foundations are destroyed, how can you build on it? How can you, how can you build anything on that? If the foundation is destroyed, if, if, if you miss stuff in the basics, how many of you know if you can't, fit, if you can't be taught 2 plus 2 equals Oh, come on now, that's weak. It ain't a trick question. 2 plus 2 equals 4. How many of you know if you can't get 2 plus 2 equals 4, you're going to be up the creek when they drop you in trig class? Right? How many of you all know if, if, you, can't get, um, if you can't get the, uh, the chemical uh, uh, formula for water is H2O, if you can't get that, when they put you in molecular chemistry class, you ain't going to make it, are you? Right? Um, if you can't remember, I'm trying to cover a variety of subjects, math, science. If you can't remember that, um, how before you accept after six. If you can't remember the birthday of the United States of America is July 4th, 1776. When you move on into higher up government classes and you start taking constitutional law, and uh, international uh, politics, international relationship, uh, international relations, and history of U.S. diplomacy and stuff like that. You're probably going to get smoked, right? Why? Because you don't even got the basics. Okay. Now back to this. You've got to believe this Bible is God's word. It's not just another book. You, you realize this? All just really all the proof you need to know that this is the word of God. If you really believe there's a, a devil. If you really believe there is an enemy of your soul that wants to see you destroyed, let me ask you something. How many people make it their career ambition to debunk and, uh, and, and refute the Koran? It don't happen in Muslim countries, do they? They take you out and they kill you quick. Okay? But my point is there's not, a whole, there's not even a whole lot of people in America. I challenge you to find me a college where there's professors that are venomously spewing out poison, saying the Koran's just a bunch of bunk. It's just a book written by men. There ain't nothing to it. It's just a bunch of garbage. You can't find it. Go find me some. You know, uh, in, in the Hindu writings, uh, help me, Pastor Shine. They have the Upanishads and and, and the Vedas. The, Upa, the Upanishads and the Vedas are the are the are the sacred text for the Hindus. Show me the 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 the, academ- the people in academia in the United States of America that are trying to debunk those and prove what a bunch of uh, bunk and garbage those are. They ain't around. Show me the people in America that are that are vehemently opposed to Buddhism and talking about how it's just a false religion and 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 that, and that there's nothing to it. Show me those people. You can't show them to me, can you? 
But oh, show me the people that want to line up and say that this book is just a book full of lies and it's just a book full of men and that Christianity is a plague on the earth and Christian morality is just... But you can find them all over the place, can't you? Now let me ask you a question. Why do you think that is? Because this is the truth. Why do you think that nobody's wasting their time doing that to all... Because you understand all the rest of it is of the devil... And why would the devil sick any of his children on trying to debunk the deceptions that he's put out there that's got billions of people in deception? He's not going to do it. Like I said, that fact right there is enough to make me go, hmm, maybe I ought to look at this book that people have tried to destroy for centuries. Maybe I ought to take, maybe I ought to take a look at this book that everybody, you know, all the people are skeptics of, but they won't ever speak out against nothing else. Because their daddy, because you understand, they only two, they, you only, there's only two sides. And there's only two daddies on the earth. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you're of your father the devil. And, you do, and to do his works, it's your, your desire to do his works. Don't you buy this stuff that we're all one big happy human family. There's two families on the earth. There's the, fa- there's the family of God and there's the family of the devil. Everybody, that and, and, and this is not popular, and people are going to call you closed-minded. They're going to call you bigot. And Pastor Earl said it, and you might as well accept it. We are coming into an age where if you stand up for God's Word, what the Bible says, and you stand up for there's one way to heaven, and it's Jesus, and if you're not in Jesus, you're not, you're not going to get enter in the kingdom. He's the only way. And you try to get any other way, and you're the same as the thief and robber. And guess what? We're entering that time where... People are either going to love you or hate you, and you better get thick-skinned enough to where you can you can deal with it either way. Woo! Amen. Why do we say that? What we're saying is, is you have to have a firm conviction that this is God's Word. And that what it says, it is God speaking to you. He's telling you what His will is. And you understand this, is that faith begins where the will of God is revealed. And the will of God is revealed through His Word. Amen? And so, we're looking at the healing ministry of Jesus. Now, I want, you, I want us to take a look. I want to give you some stuff real quick before we uh, get right into that. Amen. Let me get this crazy thing back up. <coughs> the first thing, before we start talking about how Jesus ministered healing, I, I want us to take a look at some scriptures. Do you know... And maybe someone can look this scripture up for me. I know it's in Psalms. It says that the children of Israel limited the Holy One of Israel. It's in Psalms. Okay? Some pe- you, you need to realize something. Some people say God can do anything. No, God has placed limits on what He will do. God, you understand this, is that God, He, has, he, he's restri- he is bound by His own Word. When God says, this is the limits of what I'm going to do, this is the parameters in which I'm going to operate, God will not violate that. He will, he, in other words, he's, <laughs> how many of you ever played Monopoly with somebody and they keep changing the rules of the game, or they keep revealing additional, additional rules, not really changing the rules, but they just keep revealing additionals. Oh yeah, you didn't know, you can roll twice when you're uh, 200, when you're $2,000 down and you don't own any property, you get to roll three times in a row. Huh? Some obscure rules, you know, the, the rules they're making up, right? 
How many of y'all know God don't do that? God lays the rules out. God says this is the way it's going to be. This is the way I'm going to operate, and I will not violate it. Okay? So God said in the book of Psalms that it was talking about the children of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt, and he wanted to take them into Canaan. He had a promised land for them. That, uh, you understand this, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, to give you a future and a hope. God had that for them. Brought them out of Egypt. Look, i got a promised land. Every need you want supplied, everything you need, it's yours. I'm giving it to you. But what? They wouldn't believe him. And because they would not believe his word, Pastor Cheyenne, Tested and provoked. Okay, she's working it. We'll get that reference for you. But their unbelief limited God. Now, could God have went and transported them over into the land of Canaan? Sure he could have. Could God just snap his finger or blew his breath or however he wanted to do it, destroyed all their enemies? Pastor Shai. 7841, read that for me. They, so they did not remember his power the day he redeemed them from the enemy. So they limited God. In other words, God saying, I wanted to do... What's it mean if you limit someone? If, 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 you, if you're limited, okay, what's the speed limit? You get out on the interstate, man, you want to put down... You want to kick all You want to kick all eight of them cylinders in just kicking as hard as they can except Brother Kirk. Now, Brother Kirk might want to, but he's going to be limited, right? What's that mean? Limited might mean, man... If I'm driving from Valdosta to St. Augustine, if I drive the speed limit and I set my cruise control on 70, I can make it in about two and a half hours, right? Two and a half hours, give or take some. But man, how many of y'all know I got to run? I'm thinking, man, you know, unless I get translated, I could get there. If I could just drive 85 or 90, I'd get there a whole lot quicker. Now, I ain't going to do that with my baby's in the car, you understand. I ain't going to do that at all. Why? Because I passed a sign that says, this is your speed limit, and if you go over that, we've got guys that drive cars with little flashing lights on top of them. They'll pull you over and give you a, you know, a, a welcome to the state of Florida ticket uh, citation, right? And so if you're smart, you, you see those limits, and you hold back, or within nine miles per hour over is what Pastor Cheyenne says. They'll give you ten miles, just stay nine over, that's what she says. But you have a desire to do more, but if you're going to be conscious of, of the law, there, that sign posted at Side Road causes you to hold back from what you would like to do. So if you're limited, that means you would like to do more, but something is holding you back and preventing you from doing that. Now think about it. God said in His Word that they, that people, that man. Now, some people think you're preaching heresy when you say this. If you said, do you know that man can limit God? Do you know that you can tie God's hands to where he can't do nothing for you? They'd be people go, man, that's heresy. God can do anything he wants to. He's got, no, no, no. He will abide by his word. God will not violate his word. But the scripture, your Bible says that the children of Israel limited God or held him back, withheld him from doing all that he desired to do by their unbelief. 
Amen? Turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're looking at healing in the ministry of Jesus. And, and what I want us to look at is, is before we begin to look at how Jesus ministered healing was is just briefly take a look at what stop, would stop it dead in its tracks. And uh, Matthew 13, and we want you to look at, start with verse 53. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. When he had come to his own country, everybody say your own country. When Jesus came to his hometown, amen. You ever think about going in ministry, brother, just realize this. You ever go back to your hometown and go, that's Jimmy. Oh, I remember me and Jimmy, man, we used to knock down a few cold ones. I remember, I don't know that he did, I'm just saying this, Jimmy knows that. I remember seeing Jimmy, man, smoking a big old fatty one time. He going to be... Pre- <laughs> well, you only want to talk about, right? Right? Oh, come on now. I know his mama. Don't his mama still live in this town? That's just old Jimmy. Well, guess what? Jimmy changed. Jimmy's a, the Jimmy you see. The rapper, the rapper might look similar, but what's on the inside is a new man. It's a new creature that looks just like his daddy, God. Amen? But guess what? Jesus went to his own country, um, and he taught in their synagogue so that when they were astonished, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they all not still with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and in his own house. Verse 58. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Man, there's a couple things here. Thank you, Lord. Some other things I've been studying. I touched on it a little bit last week. Here's Jesus. The same Jesus that he's been in other towns preaching the same word. What did Jesus preach? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what Jesus preached the kingdom. Pastor Earl did not just invent the kingdom message and say, hey, this would be a nice little spin to put on things to make us look different. No, it is when you see the Bible when it says the gospel, when it talks about the God, when Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what was the gospel of Jesus? He's talking about the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. What gospel did Jesus proclaim? The gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is within grasp, it is obtainable. Okay? So Jesus, the same Jesus that preached the message of the kingdom, that went into different cities, that, that healed people, did miracles, did signs, did wonders, he goes back to his hometown and he preaches the same message that he's preached in other cities where people have been healed, where people have been delivered, where demons have been cast out of people, where unclean spirits have been cast out. Jesus goes to his hometown and and they get offended at him. And you understand this. He couldn't do nothing. He was just like the children of Israel. Their unbelief, their unbelief limited the Holy One of Israel These people in Nazareth 
I'm going to tell you this. We'll touch on it, but I ain't going to get into it because it's a different. There, you notice there were there were two things, two things here that absolutely it says Jesus couldn't do anything except heal a few sick folk, and some translations say people with minor ailments, like maybe they had flu symptoms or the cold or something like or cold or something like that. How many of y'all know laying hands on somebody for to get healed from the flu isn't as significant a miracle as somebody that's blind getting their sight back or deaf getting their hearing? Okay. Two things here. I'm going to give you this. This is your Selah moment to pause and think about this. The two things that kept Jesus from being able to perform any mighty miracles in Nazareth, one was their unbelief. In other words, what's unbelief? Unbelief is if somebody told you something and you just flat out go, "Ah, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. The other thing was, back that up there, look at this. Says, is not this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother? Isn't his mother named Mary? Don't, she, don't his brothers and sisters live in this town? Here's the second thing. This is your Selah, and Selah means pause and reflect and think and contemplate this. They did not esteem or honor Jesus. They did not honor him. And this is the thing: where God's word is rejected, and where and where and, and when someone. In, in a person's life, let's put it this way, in a person's life, in, in the life of a person that rejects the Word of God and does not esteem, I'll tell you this, why can, me and Pastor Oll, we've talked about this, why can a minister in the United States of America, why could I, now you understand, I'm, and I'm, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very careful to, uh, to give this waiver so nobody here thinks I'm talking about you all. You understand this, okay? I'm talking in general. Why could I go to a to any congreg any congregation in the United States of America? And let's just put it this way: Why could I go to a t- just any typical charismatic congregation in the United States of America? Who's Brian Aggins? Who's this guy? Who's that? Because I'm not brother TBN naming lights on TBN, right? Nobody knows who I am. I'm just little brother no name. But I bring the word of the king. I preach the word. I teach the word of God. Okay? I could go in there and they don't know who I am. They don't know me from nothing. I don't have no big name minister endorsing me. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this out of jealousy. I'm I'm saying this before. I'm a complete unknown to people. I go in. I minister the word. And... Nobody receives it. People don't esteem me as a minister of the gospel. They don't esteem any uh, teaching that I bring forth. Then, take me, put me on an airplane, and take me to another country. Take me over someplace in Africa. Take me over someplace in Asia, where the cultures, uh, where the people do do have honor, where they honor someone. And I can go and I can preach the, the same man, can come bring the same message with the same anointing and see miracles done. Why? Because people receive the, the word, people get the word and they receive it and they mix it with faith and they esteem the messenger. They have honor for the messenger that brought it. Amen? Okay, that, that's enough on that. That's just your little Selah moment. But the same messenger bringing the same message placed in a different uh, location where, uh, in a different culture where people... So, th- and this is why I'm saying this, is to teach you all, you understand, this is basic stuff. 
we're, right now, if we're, if we're teaching and laying, hopefully we're laying foundations. Well, I thought we were talking about healing, Pastor. I don't know if we are, but we're trying to build some things up because you understand this. As this church continues to grow, as the vision is brought forth, and there's going to be other ministers brought in to minister to you, there's a whole staff full of ministers that are awesome, anointed ministers of God in uh, St. Augustine, Florida, that will eventually, at some point after this church matures and, and, uh, enough and has sat under Pastor Earl's teaching enough, where he's going to say, you know what, we're going to bring this person up. We're going to bring this one up and let him minister. And it's important for you not to go, oh, well, that's just da-da-da-da. Oh, well, that's just da-da-da-da. Because when you lightly esteem somebody, this, this is the thing, and I've said this before, you've heard me say this before, and it's the truth. If, so, if someone is really your pastor... Their words are weighty and carry influence in your life. If I, I said this before, before we even made this transition back in, in January when we made the administrative change here at the church. If when I when I was senior pastor, if my words do not have influence in a person's life, if I can speak to someone uh, pertaining something about the, their, their spiritual life and how they should conduct themselves in church, I, and I spoke to you and my words had no influence, I wasn't ever your pastor. Because if I'm, your, if I'm your pastor, then that means you're submitted to me spiritually enough to where when I speak to you pertaining spiritual matters, that my words carry influence. And when they do, and this is the thing, people, th- and people think that they're doing their own thing and, and having it Burger King, it's my way right away at Burger King now kind of thing going on. And they, but they don't realize they're cheating themselves. They're cheating themselves. I'm going to tell you as an associate pastor of Anchor Faith Church, there is a reward for me to be submitted to Pastor Earl and for when he speaks his when he speaks to me, his words carry influence and if I honor the man and I honor my pastor, then there's a reward that I'm going to receive in my life for the honor that I seem because when he speaks things to me and the anointing is on, is on him and on the word of God that he speaks, then I'm able to draw from that and I reap a benefit from that. Well, these people in, in Nazareth, there were sick folk there. Man, you got the greatest healing evangelist of all time coming to the town. To I mean, you got healing personified. Huh? Jesus was, uh, Jesus was the Word wrapped in flesh. He sent his, one of the key uh, for, uh, texts that we've used is He sent His Word and healed them. Right? And so you have to have a degree of esteem and honor. Okay? You understand this? Um, we looked in Matthew 13. You can write this down. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, it, it parallels this. Story. In other words, it, it repeats this story about Jesus going to Nazareth. Um, and you understand, I'm, uh, so just write that so you can know if you go back and you study. Because remember, we're going to be like the Bereans, right? The Bere- remember when we were teaching on faith, the Bible says the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they daily searched the Scriptures to see if the things they were being taught were so. And so if we want to be like the Bereans, remember that word noble means greater in rank. You want to be greater in rank than just Joe Blow church goer that just wants to go sit on a pew and be spoon-fed some little pablum two or three times a week? You want to have faith that when you speak to mountains, they hear you and they move? Amen? Then we've got to strive to be noble. We've got to strive to be higher in rank and apply ourselves to the Word and treat it, esteem the Word like it is the most valuable thing in our life. Amen? 
But uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 parallels this. But this is what I want to get you. I want to get this back to you real quick in, in 13. Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 13. It says, verse 57 says, so when they said, Isn't it, don't his family live around here? Ain't this old home, ain't this old homeboy Jesus here? Okay? And it says, so they were offended at him. People were, because people didn't, people didn't esteem Jesus, they treated him as something common. They didn't esteem him. They were offended at him. And that word offended, you need to realize it. Write this, write this down. It's, it's not on your study sheet because this is all introduction I'm giving you right now. Amen. It's, that word offended means tripped, to trip, to ensnare, or to entice to sin. To trip, to ensnare, to entice to sin. Now you know what entice means, right? Entice means you know to lure somebody into to be to be lured into something. You were enticed to do it. These people, you realize that their unbelief at what Jesus said and their lack of esteem for Him. Man, this is good. This is better than what some of you realize. They're unbelief of the words that Jesus said and because they did not esteem him or honor him that lack of honor enticed them to sin give me a good amen give me an amen if you all know what I'm talking about because they didn't esteem him they didn't honor him and it enticed them to sin and guess what they took it we don't want to be people that are enticed into sin because they because we don't esteem the things of God. Amen. But my point is what I want you to see here out of Matthew thirteen, fifty three through fifty eight, Mark six, one through six, is that Jesus could do no mighty works. Jesus. Because sometimes you understand this is the point that I really I guess I want to try to get to you is sometimes people, church people, we get the idea that Jesus just walked around indiscriminately every place he went and went, Oh, be healed, be healed. Be healed, be healed, everybody, be healed, be healed. That he was, the people got healed just because he was Jesus and he could heal, heal anybody, and that is not the case. That is not the case. Jesus, was, was he anointed? Did Jesus stand up in the synagogue and read the scroll and say, say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me? Was Je- can we all agree Jesus was the most anointed person in, that ever stepped foot on the planet that, if, that, that could heal you? They could work healings, okay? But he was limited. He was limited because of, God, uh, because of people's unbelief. Amen? Um, Matthew chapter 17. You're in 15. Turn to 17 real quick. And you can write this down. Mark 9, verses 17 through 24. These two passages parallel each other. Matthew 17, verses 14 through 21. And Mark nine seventeen through twenty four, Matthew seventeen starting with verse fourteen. I'm going to read this to you real quick. This is the the account of the father that had the demon possessed son, and and you understand this, and I and I want you to understand this is uh, some translations of your Bible. King James version, I believe, says the boy was a lunatic. Other translations say that he suffered from epilepsy. And, and certainly the symptoms that the Father describes to Jesus that we'll read here in just a minute seems to indicate, its symptoms 
that are, uh, that, are, uh, that in, are indicative of epilepsy, okay, epileptic seizures. That being said, you understand there was a demon spirit that was afflicting this boy in his flesh that was causing this. I want to say this real quick. Not every time some, you have sickness in your body is there a demon spirit behind it, but sometimes there can be a, a demon afflicting someone's body. You understand, even in born-again believers. Now, you can't, a born-again believer can't be demon-possessed. But a demon can afflict your body, and, it will manifest, and, and that can cause the sickness to manifest. Well, how do you know sometimes when you're, laying, when you're ministering healing to people, whether just to speak to, uh, to the sickness and command it to go in the name of Jesus and command healing in Jesus' name into their body? Or when do you have to speak to a demon spirit? Well, you just get, you know, this thing. I just say this, unless you've got a gift of the spirit, and revel- unless there's a gift of, of, of uh, discerning of spirits in operation, you know, you've pro- most of you probably read about the, the gifts of the, the nine manifestations of the gift of the spirit, and one is the discerning of spirits. You know, unless there's a gift of discerning in spirit, of spirits in operation and you just absolutely know that there is, well, then you just operate just laying hands on them and commanding healing in the name of Jesus. The Holy Ghost will tell you stuff. You know, I've had that before when I'm I'll tell you this. Um, the, Holy Ghost tell you, the Holy Ghost tell me a lot of stuff that I don't even speak out. Why? Well, why not, Pastor Brian? Because sometimes it ain't all meant to be spoke out. Sometimes he'll tell you some stuff just so you know and you're in the know and you know what's going on because as you're ministering, you know, you, you know what's going on, what the, what the atmosphere, what the circumstances around you, but it's not meant to tell what's going on. Other times it is. It is man, it's so awesome. I talked to a guy last week at the Y, and uh, he goes to a church here in town, and, uh, and he's, a, he's, a, he's a good brother. I love talking to him. He encourages me every time I talk to him. And uh, he flows in a, in a prophet's ministry. He's, he has a prophetic ministry. And he was telling me he was at a church up in Macon a few weeks back ministering. And uh, he, he ministered on, on some things and said that the Lord told him, he said, call, this particular, call a particular person out and this is what I want you to say to call them out and it'll, it'll narrow the field down to who comes up. And so he, he said, said what, he, what the Lord told him to. And this dude comes walking up to the front. And so there's this guy standing in front of him. He said, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit come upon him. And he pointed at the guy. He said, he said you're a woman, and you're going to become pregnant. There's a dude standing there. You know, I got to throw him, do I have to throw in my obligatory musical reference? Dude look like a lady. No, this lady look like a dude, this case. This lady look like a dude. He points at the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he says, you're a woman and you're going to become pregnant. And fell down on their face right in front of him weeping. And it was a lesbian that had her breast taped down and her hair trimmed up and was wearing men's clothes and was trying to pass herself off as a man. And, every, and, and, and he, didn't, he had no clue in the natural. He thought it was a dude. He said, I'm thinking it's a dude. The Holy Ghost told off, got, got her delivered got her delivered from homosexuality in that service. So the, the point is the Holy Ghost will tell off on y'all stuff about stuff. And so the point is, is if you're ministering, if you're praying for healing for someone, don't just start saying, oh, I rebuke this devil out of you. Because unless you know, you can open up a door to get somebody a devil if they don't have one. Get them, get them in fear. Because if you, when, when you start operating in fear, 
you may as well just, you know, when you start walking in fear, the Bible says devil like, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You start getting in fear and living a life of fear and allowing your decisions to be dictated by fear, fear, fear. Man, you may as well just tie a couple of T-bone steaks around yourself, jump over the fence down at Wild Adventures in the tiger cage and go, here, kitty, 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 here, kitty, kitty, kitty. <clears throat> right? So you, you don't operate in fear. And you don't want to get people to where they're opening up a door for fear. So, anyway, this man, Jesus goes to him, and it says, verse 14, And when they had come to him, the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long must I bear you? Bring him to me. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus expect his disciples to be able to get this young man healed? Yeah. Why would he have rebuked them? Why would he say, man, where's your faith at? How long do I put up with your mess? Because that's the paraphrase. What's the malfunction? Where's y'all's faith? How much longer do I put up with you guys? That's what Jesus is saying. So Jesus had the expectation that his disciples should have took authority over and, and told it to go in the name of Jesus. Right? Um, and Jesus rebuked the demon. Notice the father said he's got a sickness. He's epileptic. He's got this. He's a lunatic. He's got this. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to him privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. I'm just going to stop right there on that verse. Because of your unbelief. Jesus had, Jesus had the expectation. Look, you guys, I'm teaching you guys. I'm training you guys. I'm showing you how you do it. I'm telling you what, what your authority is. I'm showing you how to operate in it. I had the full expectation. Why? Because this is going back and, say, oh, man, I'm telling you. See, I'm thinking about stuff I've, I taught last summer that hopefully... It's sticking with you because what's the, what's the point of discipleship? And I taught this down in St. Augustine uh, uh, last month. What's the point of discipleship? The point of discipleship is the disciple will get to the point where they look just like the master. That's the whole point of discipleship. You know, it's not, it, because you understand the church is not supposed to be a fan club. I'm going to say it again. The church is not supposed to be a fan club. Why? Because you understand this. Pick out, you know, I can remember, you know, one, you know, one of the bands I liked a whole lot when I was back in high school, Bon Jovi. Okay? Guess what? I was a Bon Jovi fan, but I could be a fan of Bon Jovi's music, which calling me a fan really was a misnomer because I, don't, I never have been fans of people. If I heard a song, I liked the song, but I didn't necessarily fixate on the artist. Because I wasn't ever into idolatry. Oh, don't don't go there, Pastor Brian. American Idol. And it goes over all the Christians' heads. We understand this. I could be a fan. You can be a fan of somebody. And you can be a fan of somebody because of their musical talent. Because they can sing good. Because they can play guitar good. They can play... They, man, they got all kinds of. You know, you can be somebody's fan and not have not one shred of musical talent and ability. That's me, man. If I'm going to be, if I if I ever was a fan, I never, I, you know, I can't sing. I used to think I could. I went to you know a man that was my pastor when I was a boy. I preached at his church and I used to sing some of those old boohoo 
uh, you know, hee-haw Christianity songs. <laughs> Pastor Earl said hee-haw on Sunday last week. You know, deep, dark depression, excessive misery, you know, a lot of those good old southern gospel songs that just sucked all the joy out of you. You know, you felt like going down to the going down to the bar and knocking down a few long necks after you got out of church because you're so depressed. I used to try to sing some of those, and that pastor friend of mine said, "Brother Brian, he said God called you to preach." I said, "Amen, Brother Gillum, I know." He said, "No, brother," he said, "You didn't hear me. God called you to preach." I said, "Amen, Brother Gillum, I, I hear you, brother." He said, "No, brother," he said, "God called you to preach, not sing, brother. Preach, preach." What I'm saying is, is that you can be a fan of somebody and never in your lifetime develop any of the skills, talents, or, or look anything like them. But we're called to be disciples. And a disciple is different than a fan. Fans are just admirers. The church is too, the church is too full of fans. I'll just tell you that right now. The church is just too full of fans. They want to be admirers of Jesus. And certainly we should admire we should admire him. But you understand this is if we're called to be disciples and, and the goal of discipleship is is that you listen to the teachings of the master and you imitate the master and you speak like the master speaks, you act like the master speaks, and you do that and you do that and you do that until people start to say, uh, you are uh, uh, this person. You're a follower of this person. In Greek culture, when they had Greek philosophers and stuff like that, they said, oh, you're a Platonist. Why? Because they learned the teachings of Plato, and they spoke like them, they thought like Plato. That's where the name Christians even came from, was that they saw, oh, you adhere to the doctrine of this man Jesus Christ. You, and so, but this is the thing. We, the goal was disciples were supposed to come just like the master. The things that the master did, the disciple could do. After you, after you trained yourself, because the, because Jesus said, when the disciple is perfectly trained or completely trained, he'll be just like the master. So Jesus had this expectation of his disciples that they would be able to do the healing just like he did. And then they went to him after they obviously couldn't, and Jesus had to heal this young boy. And they said, why couldn't we do it? And he, just, and, you know, he didn't sugarcoat it. You know, a lot of people, they think, well, that was just mean. I think Jesus should have just told them, well, you boys just need to work just a little bit harder. I don't know. If Jesus, okay, here's what Jesus would have said if he was like a lot of, of pastors and preachers today. Well, you know, boys, I don't know what to tell you. The Lord works in, Dad works in mysterious ways. <laughs> That's a good place to laugh, y'all. Ha, 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 Pastor Brian. You know, Dad works in mysterious ways. But Jesus didn't say it. Jesus said, because you unbelief. And he went on to say later on, said, this kind doesn't come but except by through prayer and fasting. But the first thing he said, because you unbelief. And so the point I want to try to get to you this evening is, is if we're, we're going to look, and, and I'm not even going to, I'm not just hold on to your handout because I'm not even going to get. We, we got the first one. Jesus' ability to minister healing was limited by people's unbelief. Yeah, offended means to entice to sin. Fill those out and hang on to that. We'll take a look at. We'll finish out the rest of this next week. But I really felt like it was very important for us to realize 
and and realize this teaching can be a good standalone teaching for anybody. You can, in other words, someone could could listen to it out of the context of the series and get benefit from it. But you're going to reap the most benefit when try to make it a point on Wednesday. Take take just a minute, just glance through your notes from the the previous week and try to get your mind back in. You know, just take five minutes just to run back down your little sheet and go, okay, we talked about this, we talked, yeah, yeah, and I remember this. And ask this thing, ask the Holy Ghost to bring things back to your remembrance. Because understand this, we ain't coming here just to get our heads stuffed full of facts because we're not going to be like those women that Paul talked about in Second Timothy that they're always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. We're going to learn we're going to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I love what Pastor Earl said. And, and you understand this, what he says in St. Augustine, it applies here too. We are not going to be known as a church that prays. Amen. We're going to be known as a church that gets its prayers answered. We're going to be known as a church that when we pray, we know what the word of the king is on it. We're going to pray it, we're going to believe it, and we're going to see it come, come to pass. But I really want to take this time, and I felt like we just needed to lay groundwork to let you know before we start looking at the the healing ministry of Jesus, of just talking and and bringing out some things that could that completely nullified it, and took the greatest healer that ever walked the face of the planet and tied his hands and made him completely unable to help. So next week we're going to begin. We know now. We know, and we've been taught what it is that limits limited Jesus. What limited God and what limited Jesus from being able to perform any great miracles or, and, and his disciples. We saw the example of his disciples there in Matthew 17 was unbelief. So next week we're going to come back and we're going to take a look at what is it that causes man just, Jesus just to absolutely blow the top off of it and see miracles, signs, wonders, and healing. And it's, go, and it's, going, to, it's going to pull, pull on you some from what we had been taught in faith too. Amen? It's going to be good. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for this day. Father, we